welcome to a special edition of the Loaded Cart Podcast. Join Paul, Daniel, and their occasional guests as they talk about the things they love and hate about video games and the gaming industry. In this special episode, we get knee-deep with Wes Platt of Prologue Games. Look out for those diaper chickens. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome once again to the Loaded Card Podcast. I am Paul of What's Paul Playing Today, and with me as always is Dan, otherwise known as Chop the Viking. What's up, buddy? How's it going, man? Fantastic. We have a special guest with us today, Wes Platt, writer and designer of the indie hit Knee Deep. Welcome, Wes. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for coming. So we have a couple of things that we do kind of at the beginning of every episode because we we like to talk about video games. And one of the things we kind of do is always talk about what we're currently playing because it kind of changes from week to week. And it's it's kind of fun insight thing. So I've been playing some Elite Dangerous because I've just started getting into that. And it's a really crazy space sim. And it's actually been Mm -hmm. kind of fun and really just weird stuff happens in that game. Like I accidentally got too close to a sun and blew up. Last night. That was that was kind of fun. Well done, Chris. Yeah, it was, it was pretty suave. I was trying to get much much further away than where I was with the ship that I had, and it required like 20, 20 jumps or so. And yeah, I messed up and had to do it all over again, which was terribly exciting. Again, playing some League of Legends. Uh, started playing Shadowrun Returns to get more through it than I currently have, and that game's really interesting and. We all know my love of Shadowrun, so yeah. it runs deep. <laughs> I'm a bi- I'm a big fan, and uh, yeah, it's still just a really great game, really good tactical combat system, so really good writing because it was written by the guys that created Shadowrun. So how could it mm-hmm. not be? Exactly, <laughs> it's true. So what have you been playing, Paul? I've been running through Dark Souls 2 like usual. Drew of Hops and Heroes and I have been playing through that, and uh, been playing a lot of Here's the Storm lately. It's really about it. I've haven't been playing much else because that's all I've had time for. Okay. What about you, Wes? Well, before I uh, came to San Francisco for GDC, I was finishing up the second playthrough of Fallout 4, siding with the Institute this time, so that was a lot of fun. And then in my spare time, I've been playing a lot of Star Trek timelines on my phone and also played a little 80 days this week in honor of having gone to Meg Giant's session the other day it was kind of good to go dip my toes back in the story of Passepartout going around the world. Nice. That's pretty cool. I need to resume my third playthrough of Fallout 4 because now the <laughs> now the finally the DLC is coming out next week. So I'm doing a railroad run this time because I did uh, Brotherhood of Steel first because once you see the Pridwin come rolling in with all the vertebrae. That was pretty impressive. How yeah. do you how do you not yeah. just immediately go? Ooh, I need to go back to Paladin Dance right now. <laughs> like, screw the main storyline. I just need to go do everything I possibly can for the Brotherhood, which happened to be beat the whole game at that point. But you know, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I did that, and then I did the Institute playthrough, and now I'm doing the Railroad. And yeah, so that's what I'll probably do the DLC with. Nice. The Brotherhood is like an old security blanket. You just can't help but wrap yourself in it when you're, with your first playthrough. Right. They made it feel very uncomfortable, though. That I mean, they just have such sketchy morals. But oh, then yeah. all of them do, so... Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's kind of the good part, is that there is kind of no side that has better morals than the other one. Except right. Fallout New Vegas kind of did, because, like, the NCR was 
by far a better choice than Kaiser's Legion. Like, mm-hmm. Caesar's Legion. Like, this just like, let's see, they're slavers and they're crazy. Um, I'll, I'll be over here. But then yeah. usually, like, my first instinct in Fallout New Vegas was, of course, just, screw you guys. I'm, I'm going to do it. Like, me. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and that was a really great option in that game because you had a really some really funny endings with that. I've said it before. I'll say it again. With Fallout, you've got Fallout 1, I've got to get the water ship. Fallout 2, I have to stop the Enclave. Fallout 3, okay, i got to go find my dad. Fallout 4, hey, where's my son? Fallout <laughs> New Vegas, who's the motherfucker who shot me in the head? <laughs> I still really love the, uh, there's a crazy fan theory for Fallout New Vegas that the protagonist of Fallout New Vegas is the synth that is missing in Fallout 3. And was heading and is heading west. Like yeah, he disappears yeah. and is heading west, and that's where you meet some of the people from the institute in DC. And like, and then there's this big conspiracy theory that that's why he didn't die when he was shot in the head is because he's really a synth. It's possible. Yeah. Ah, the Blade Runner conspiracy. Okay. Yeah. There's there's, yep. there's it's a it's a really in depth fan theory, and it's actually like pretty kind of cool once you dig into it. Do they have a Void Conf in the in New Vegas? No, but they do have part of a Voight-Kampf in Knee Deep. Oh, tell nobody. That's, that's our <laughs> secret. <laughs> there are lots lots, and lots of Easter eggs in the game, which is kind of cool. So Definitely adds replayability. Yes. So, so, Wes, why don't you tell us a little bit about what you do at Prologue Games? Okay. Well, we're a small indie dev team, so there's a handful of people working in the main studio in Durham, North Carolina. I am the writer-designer and PR guy and, you know, traveling guru to to do demos and QA tester. Yeah, you name it. If it involves uh, writing of any kind, I'm usually helping with that. And the overall development of Knee Deep. So how did you get started in the gaming industry? Yeah, it's a long and winding road that started with me as a journalist. I was actually a reporter at the St. Pete Times back in the early 90s. But I've played video games since I was a kid. I mean, my dad brought a computer home and I was playing Zork and Scott Adams Adventure getting computer magazines and copying the basic scripts in the back and making my own and customizing them. And then when CompuServe came around, I was playing Islands of Kesma. And, and then the internet hits in the mid-90s, and I start getting kind of addicted to MUDs, started developing my own game called Other Space, about the same time as Threshold uh, got started, uh, which I know you guys are familiar with Threshold. Yes, yes. Uh, really kind of paralleled all this. I was, you know, starting a regional edition of the St. Pete Times, really pioneering my own part of the newspaper. But then, of course, around 2003, Craigslist was really knocking the, the legs out from under newspaper classified ads. I was getting pretty burned out from having done so much so fast. And I was really interested in the online gaming space and trying to get something going with my game. And, of course, World of Warcraft came out in 2004, and I really wanted to work for Blizzard. Right. So, yeah, right. (laughs) So 2005, I pack my dog up and I go move to the Pacific Northwest for a while, thinking that's a good staging point to try to make connections in Vancouver or Seattle or California. And none of that worked. But I played a lot of World of Warcraft winter in the mountains uh, of around Hood River. And I was writing a lot of fiction about my uh, character named Stamp on the Earth and Ring server. And some people that knew me on World of Warcraft lived in North Carolina, said they were working on this game called Fallen Earth. And 
if I lived out east, I could work on this game, possibly. And I went out to interview for it. They hired me. So I went to work for Icarus Studios uh, on Fallen Earth for a few years. They launched that game in 2009, and I think it's still floating around out there. I, I'm pretty sure it is. I think I played it around that, like 2010, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's still on Steam, at least. So yeah. it, it should be kicking around. It's in my library. I just don't have time to play it anymore. <laughs> I don't have time to play Warcraft. I really yeah. I played a little Black Desert online last week and I don't know how I would ever commit the time to do very well at that, but yeah, it's a beautiful it's, game. It's pretty. It is incredibly pretty. Um, yeah. it is it is a new MMO that just came out and it, it is gorgeous. If just go check out trailers. Seriously. Yeah. It's <laughs> it's crazy. But if you're not familiar with Fallen Earth, it is basically a post-apocalyptic MMO. Um, yeah, and yeah, it's it is it still exists. It's probably a little old school at this point in time. I don't know how much revision they've done because you know, like World of Warcraft has done overhaul after overhaul after overhaul of their system, and they're a completely different game than when they started. So I don't know how much. You know, I think they've added some new content, but I think the overall art style and everything is yeah. pretty much what it was when it started. Nice. Yeah. So yeah, so, so so you worked for them, and then how did you transfer from them to Prologue? Well, there was another hiatus between that and working for Prologue. I went to work for the Herald Sun newspaper in Durham. About the time I was getting engaged and starting up a a new life with my little boy, and I was working at the newspaper, and Colin came to my son's first birthday party, Colin Dwan, who is the uh, head of Prologue, and we had worked together on Fallen Earth. He had been a project manager there and programmer and, and expert at telling me no, 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 can't do that, can't do that. <laughs> but he came to me to my, my son's birthday party and said, if I'm able to get money to make this project, would you want to come work with me? And we had talked about this idea for Knee Deep previously. He'd been throwing around a few ideas, and Knee Deep was one of them. It was this story that I'd been kind of tinkering with for years and years in a town that I came up with when I was a kid. My mom has been waiting for me to finish writing a novel or something about Cypress Knee since <laughs> I was a teenager, and now she finally gets to play it. So, yay. But yeah, he said, would I like to do this? I was just kind of gone through a scare at the Herald Sun where it seemed like they might be laying people off. And I was only able to kind of stay in my job because uh, I was playing the job of night editor and cop reporter and higher education reporter. So it's like all these hats, if I do all these things, I can stay in my low-paying journalism job. And I could go to a slightly better-paying indie development job if Colin got this money. And he came out to GDC and got the money. He found investors, came back to Durham and said, I got it. You ready to jump? (laughs) And I said, I'll go talk to my boss today. And yeah, two weeks later, I was uh, over at the American Tobacco Campus moving in to start uh, the concept work on Knee Deep, and it's uh, it's been a great ride. I mean, uh, I'm amazed that with uh, the small team we've got, that we've managed to put out this game in a year and a half. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. that is that's pretty great. Um, you mentioned, um, mentioned Fallen Earth. Fallen Earth. Uh, what other games have you been a part of? Fallen Earth is primarily the, from a professional game design standpoint, Fallen Earth's been the big one. Other Space has been my side project for uh, mud development, and then just knee deep. Yeah. Cool, cool. I, I'm guessing just knee deep has probably been the favorite one you've been a part of. 
Oh yeah, I mean when uh, you consider the fact that it's uh, an original idea that I came up with and all these characters kind of started in my brain and then ended up on a computer screen. Yeah, I mean Fallen Earth was a lot of fun and I got to work with the Travelers faction who are like the thieves and rogues and assassins of the Grand Canyon province. That was a lot of fun, but it was working on somebody else's baby. And although that like I said, a lot of fun, love the work. There is definitely something special about being able to tell a story that is sort of a tribute to my home state of Florida and does it in kind of this different, strange theatrical style that makes it unlike anything else uh, that's out there. The uh, best part is that I lived in Florida for 10 years and moved there when I was 18, and I could see most of that stuff, ha- stuff happening. It reminded me of Carl Heiss' <laughs> novel. Exactly, exactly. I you know, love Hyacinth's work, Dave Barry, you know, all the and John D. McDonald books. Certainly all those things have an influence on me. Yeah. But that and that having lived there most of my adult life and childhood. That's a, it definitely had a an impact on me because like, yeah, I could see pretty much all this happening. <laughs> <laughs> we know that, that you guys took kind of a different route with Needy. You you took the kind of the original adventure game design and something was missing and you guys decided to do it as basically a stage production in a video mm-hmm. game. Uh, what kind of inspired that decision to to break away from like the standard kind of telltale adventure game and move into the, we're going to put on a stage production Mm. Um, it was an interesting evolution. When we started doing the design documents and the pitch documents for it, Colin kept coming back to stage lighting. He kept wanting to have film noir style lighting and ideas of pools of light and playing with shadows. And But even with that, we were still going with more of a cinematic design. As we were finishing Act 1 and doing playthroughs as a team, we were like, we really love the characters, we really love the story, but it looks just like a Telltale game. It doesn't really seem to be set apart. But we kept coming back to things like the idea of the set pieces coming apart and the lights coming down and coming up on the different characters and setting moods and having these monologue moments where the character kind of looks out at the camera, breaks the fourth wall, at which point we're all sort of sitting there going, well, this all sounds like a theater play. So we had loading screens originally between each of those scenes, and we said, well, what if we could do away with loading screens entirely and instead have this sort of transporting stage that just does this rotation? And we're like, that is going to be an absurdly big stage. And Wouldn't that look awesome? Could we do it? And we're like talking to the programmers and the artists, and they're all like, yeah, it's not going to break anything. I think we can actually make this happen. And... When I saw that effect the first time, it was pretty amazing. And it's the kind of thing I I know that grabs people's attention when they first see it. It's like, oh, that's different. <laughs> so I, yeah, it was, uh, you can definitely tell, I think, in the development process that, you know, Act 1 was not always envisioned as the stage play. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when we had reached that decision, it was sort of toward the end. So you start seeing theatrical elements really kicking in. I mean, we do go back and, and in Act 1, start tailoring things to look like their stage set pieces, obviously. But it's like when you're in Act 2 and you get the crowds doing the call and response, almost like musical numbers and, and things like that, that's when it was like really like a play, and we really embraced it. Yeah, when you, you kind of had Act 2 starts with basically like the traditional chorus. Like, right. Like with each person like kind of summarizing what's been going on. Like Exactly. 
that was kind of cool to see. Uh, have you ever written a play before, or was this is this your first attempt at a play? Basically, like, did you have to go uh, and kind of research how to do that structure, or? Um, there was really uh, no need to research at all. I've done uh, a couple of plays in the past, nothing professionally, but you know, I did some monologue works for a friend of mine in college, and you know, done I've done some screenplay stuff, but nothing that ever got produced. But really, it was more it helped inform how the story got designed, okay. and it really helped tone things down. So it's like, okay, I know this is a stage play. I know what our limitations are. How do we present that? Uh, in the you know most economical way possible, and treating it like okay, it's a stage play. We know that explosions are going to look pretty fake, and building pieces coming apart and blowing up uh, will look you know outlandish and weird. But uh, you're going to know it's not for real. Right. So so basically, they were intentionally done to look over the top. Right. At that point. Right. Right. Now, I was going to ask what the what are kind of some of the challenges that you guys ran into when you were designing, a, basically designing a play that would also still be played as a game, not just mm-hmm. just strictly presented to you, but that you also had to experience and work through at the same time. Yeah, the challenges aren't so much in the production of it and more in the audience reception to it. Mm-hmm. Um, because you definitely get my feeling is that like it or hate it, at least people talk about it. And, but you know the people that play it and don't really like it tend to be people who really want more of the adventure game aspect. They want a right. lot more puzzles. They they want to be able to free roam and explore the environment. And the people who really love it are probably more toward you know who we were gearing this toward, which is the the person who wants to play a thing that is a narrative experience. It's not so much about the puzzles. I mean, you can actually skip the puzzles. There's buttons you can hit to go. I don't want to do this puzzle. I'm tired of this. Um, <laughs> I didn't because even notice what, those. I just yeah because the puzzles are pretty simple, right? And they're not meant to be roadblocks. They're not meant to slow people down excessively. When I made the game, and I think it was true of the rest of the team, we wanted to make a game that we would finish uh, if we were playing it, that we would get through it, and we're doing it for the story and the characters, and, you know, when you go see a play, you know, it's it really became like that, where, you know, the first and second act are pretty uh, heavy for setting things up and then getting things ready for the big finale, and then the third act, which is significantly shorter than the first, is just all the pieces finally falling down, <laughs> and you see that action play out. Yeah, it actually reminded me a lot of a visual novel. And mm-hmm. that, was that what you were going for? I don't think it was intentional that we were going for visual novel, but it's definitely, when you look at other visual novel games, it certainly falls into that. If it's not the same genre, it's definitely the same species. I think they're definitely closer to that than your traditional adventure game. But, but the hope is that somebody who loves theater will come into an adventure game, and maybe they've never played an adventure game, and this could be a gateway for them to explore a video game and go, well, there may be something here for me and I didn't realize it. And people who play computer games and never went to a stage show might play this and go, well, now i got to go see a show. It's really uh, trying to bridge that gap. And we thought it was really cool because, you know, it's one of the oldest art forms in the world is theater, and computer games being one of the newest, trying to find a way to create a hybrid out of that was really interesting to us. Absolutely. Uh, So just out of curiosity, what prompted the decision to focus on three... I hesitate to say protagonist because really the the game itself is the protagonist, but the mm-hmm. three main characters really. Yeah, I mean at different times they're all antagonists too, aren't they? Sure. Uh, I think that when we started development of the game, there was one character. The central character was going to be Jack Bellet, uh, mm-hmm. the news reporter who works in town. But we thought, 
okay, we ought to have some other viewpoints here. It'd be more interesting to have him as like the insider character. And then we thought about bringing in a very noir detective character. Um, who's, yeah, Casey Gaddis, who's much more your traditional noir guy, who's the one who left town and then came back. He's got ties to Bellet in the past. And then the last character we thought of was this 20-something blogger, Ramona Teague, who's the total outsider, fish out of water, coming into this town and being caught up in the midst of the story and doing her best to never fit in. And she was really supposed to be this, you know, side character and she just ended up taking everything over so sure sure yeah I, I love Casey's intro, the, the gasps that the audience gives. I don't want to give too much away but it's just a, a yeah. very, it, it definitely grabs you mm-hmm. uh, she always cracked me up a little bit because there's points in time where she's running around like, like I am a serious journalist and she's a blogger and I'm like, I'm thinking like this is like, like imagine if Perez Hilton is like <laughs> goes to, like, Washington, D.C. and, like, demands to talk to members of Congress about, like, a, a real news story. Like, people could be like, you're you're not a reporter, dude. I'm, yeah. Get out of here. It's, it's mostly, you just get, get a look, and you are? Yeah, right. It's like, yes, yes, I, I, I realize you're Perez Hilton, but but get out of here. You're not a <laughs> like, you're not You're not with the press. Like, just go. <laughs> Pound sand, buddy. <laughs> but this is the town of Cypress Knee where they're all impressed. Yeah. Because they're, you're from somewhere special. An out-of-towner comes in. That's somebody to take a look at. Right. I just thought of curiosity. Has anyone done the full math in the decision tree? A full map? Um, like, a, like all the math, like how many choices that you can actually affect? I don't think we've done a full rundown of that, but I can tell you that the things that change are usually pretty nuanced. I mean, there right. in Act 3, there are actually certain choices that change where stuff takes place, where things happen, and who lives and who dies, uh, sorts yeah. of things. I would say that there are probably 5 to 10 major things that you change through the course of the game, but there are lots of little nuances that change. I mean, the uh, things you do in the opto test as either Bellet or Ramana, they can change. Like the the weird dream that she talks about toward the end of Act 1, that usually reflects the opto test, or what Remy says to her outside the gator pit gets reflected from that. So, yeah, there's lots of little things. I We're a small team, and I'm the only writer, so I can tell you it's not the uh, Bethesda level of lots of different things changing here and there, but, uh, and- but there are a lot of things where like how people react to you, how they talk to you, that changes. Sure, sure. There, yeah. But there was a ton of choices that you could take. I was just curious. Just the I know there's the, like the, the ten critical things, but there's got to be a lot of other little things that come right. just to to see like uh, like uh, oh gosh, what was her name? The Tina. How she right. reacts to you at some point. So I'm sure that changes. Right. And there's some information you don't get. Because, like, if you're talking to the hotel guy and he starts being condescending to you as Romana and you react to him in a hostile fashion, he'll shut you off of a line of inquiry that would have given you another clue, which might have been useful to you. But really, I mean, you'll notice there were no fail states. I mean, no matter what happens, whatever choices you make, we like to say that there are no bad choices, only regrets. Uh, But at least you can play it through and it doesn't take that long. I like his obsession with ferrets. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so there are tons of, like, little Easter eggs in the game, like I mentioned before. And that the ferrets thing, and I don't exactly remember where it is. I might have been the police station. Uh, but there's a there's a point in the game where you're in a room, and there's a bunch of pictures on the wall of people. Mm-hmm. 
who are those people? Because I'm assuming it's probably you guys from Prologue, but I was uh, curious. Was this, was this in the uh, Church of Us? I don't think so. I think I hmm. want to say it was in one of the the buildings later in the game, like when you go down to the police station for the first time. I think okay. it's, there's just like think, it's a bunch of photos on the wall of of just you know portraits of people, and I was yeah just there is. There is in the Church of Us headquarters thing in Cyprus okay. when Romana is sneaking through oh, and she finds you. yeah, she finds one of the bad guys in there. Yeah, on the wall, our artists, Corey and Robert, decided to put up pictures. And yeah, the so like they're supposed to be the leaders of the Church of Us. Mm-hmm. So there's like a picture of Colin, there's a picture of Corey, picture of me. Um yeah, we're all the bad guys. <laughs> nice. Nice. I, I thought that might have been a little like sneaking of some credits there. I had imagined that was something you like a company would do if they did like a Kickstarter and like at a certain level of funding or whatever. Like, hey, we'll put right. your portrait in the game because it would be kind of you know our inside <laughs> joke. But I, I imagine yeah. developers because it just seemed like what it would be. But I had to ask. <laughs> yeah, and you don't. I don't think anybody ever sees this, but Robert actually put in the ambulance scene in. Act 2, when you actually see the open back of the ambulance in the swamp area, I think he put mine and Colin's name on the call sheet <laughs> for the on-duty paramedics. <laughs> nice. Nice. So yeah, he snuck in all kinds of little uh, Easter eggs that I didn't know about till later. I'll have to go back and see if I can find that. <laughs> so you're also on the credits in this game as a voice actor. Um, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but so it kind of prompts a couple of questions. I know you guys originally didn't have voice acting in the game. Uh, yep. Was it just consumer feedback that made you go back and do voice acting, or was that something you kind of wanted to do and finally no, got I'll, the funding to? No, I'll tell you. Initially, I was dead set against it. I wanted people to sort of imagine these characters in their heads and find their own voices for them, and I had this whole esoteric, artistic, dumb idea that you should just leave that to everybody else. And there were a few people who really appreciated that idea, but people who streamed the game live and tried to do the voices found themselves getting really sore throats by the end of Act 1. And and we had critical feedback that was actually very on point, which is that you hear these people walking around the stage, you hear the props moving, you hear different ambient sound effects, Mm -hmm. but it was really off-putting that you don't hear them talk. And we thought initially that it would be out of reach financially to try to do this, but we scraped together the money. We worked with the guys at Crash Creative and Raleigh. Some of them were people we'd worked with at Fallen Earth. So again, those payoff connections from the past working out for us. And they knew some very talented people who, some of whom had never done a computer game before. Some had. Casey Gaddis is actor, George Washington, was the Green Lantern in DC Online, DC Universe Online. That's pretty cool. So, yeah, so he's no stranger to this, but, you know, the other folks were people who've done commercial work or narrated books, and were just interested in trying this out and seeing what they could do. I thought they did a great job, but certainly you got to a point where there were characters that just had a few lines here and there, and... I think we had somebody for Ross Stevens, but he fell through at the last minute, so I had to step up and, and play the editor who uh, <laughs> yells at Jack Bellet, which was really bizarre. I was going to say, have you ever done voice acting in a game before, or was that your first time? Oh, it wasn't my first time. My first time was in Fallen Earth. I played, I think it was some of the tech guys that you fight in one of the expansion areas. I yelled and did a lot of dying yells and <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and I think when we did the original tutorial level, I was like screaming or begging for my life or something. I'm sure that'll be on YouTube one day, but uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm going to find it. <laughs> so was it fun to actually provide a voice to a character that you had written? Like, how? what was that experience like? Yeah, it was, it was interesting, but I don't know. It's kind of unnerving in another way because like I didn't really envision myself saying these lines. So I think there was you're a little too close to it, and it's that uncanny valley of audio. So I, I have a hard time listening to it. So It just doesn't feel right. Yeah, it, it feels weird to me. I For everybody else, it's probably okay, but you know, I haven't heard anybody saying, wow, that voice sounds terrible. Really, I think Jack takes a lot of the sting out of that, because Jack Bellet, his actor, is fantastic. Dan Osborne, his outtakes are almost as great as the lines we kept in, because he was salty. He loved to just open up with the vulgarity at the beginning of every line. So he, even when he's saying something that's normally pretty civil, he would start it with, you know, F you, you know, this is just not, yeah, yeah, he was great. So basically I, I, the, the editor got to, got to do a little extra work nice. <laughs> on his parts. Yeah. Yeah, I paid good yeah. money to hear those outtakes. <laughs> <laughs> I know Colin has them saved somewhere, so they nice. may appear in some form. <laughs> nice. So kind of along those same lines, since you wrote the game, how much fun did you have writing the weird word slips for Buckingham? Oh, for, yeah, Gary Buckingham. <laughs> that was actually a lot of fun, and it almost became like a challenge in the office with the team to see how weird and bizarre we could go. Yeah, they were pretty strange. I mean, I you think Ramana is strange, and then you hear Gary Buckingham talk. Yeah, he it was it was a lot of fun, and it really I know in uh, Jim Sterling did a review. I think he was he the one he may have been critical of Buckingham because he thought it was like this joke that went on too long. Um, <laughs> but when you get to Act Three, there's this payoff of him kind of having one last screw up with that uh, with his language. Yeah, I I don't mind. Again, it's as with all things that involve humor, it's some people subjective. like a lot of it, some don't. Yeah, it's all yeah. subjective. And you know, I hope that people really appreciate what happens to him in the end, and that's really <laughs> all that matters. <laughs> I did. I really did. Cool. That was a lot of fun. It was, I really enjoyed the the whole tie-in of everything coming together at the end. Uh, on on that note, is there a canon ending where certain characters live, certain characters die? I'm not not really uh, asking for the actual ending. Is is there one in your brain that is right. there a canon ending? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, there are certain characters in my mind who may have a chance of going on and doing other things, but it, it's pretty obvious that some are kind of left in limbo. Uh, sure. And others others definitely walked away. And then some walked away depending on the, the player choice. You know, what happens right. at the motel with the politician, for example. That's all up to the player. As far as uh, a full-fledged, do I know what happens to Ramana and company after this? I don't know. I've thought a little bit about it, but mostly my attention's been shifting to other projects at this yeah. point. So yeah. I'm, I'm we'll glad stick. to hear there are going to be other projects. Oh yeah, yeah, we're definitely we're, we've developed pitches and concepts for something new that I can't talk too much about, yeah. but of course, uh, it, of course. It, it has been uh, a subject of much of our attention this week. So that's good, perfect. Yeah, and after I do all this traveling I'm doing for Knee Deep, then I'll uh, be focusing on that a lot. Well, let me know if you get to Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Kind of switch back to Buckingham for just a second because I had another question I wanted sure. to ask about it. Uh, you may not have an answer to this. I, I fully accept that. But what is the best line that you guys came up for Buckingham that you didn't or couldn't use in the game? 
There were no lines that we came up with that we didn't use. I put in whatever we had. That's, yeah, that's I, that's a good answer. Like I just, that's yeah, a great I answer. was curious as if you just came up to some and were just like, eh, I, I, we can't, we can't do this. That. This is almost no. too cheesy. Yeah, no, with Buckingham there was no such thing. We just kind of said he. I mean, there were some that you we probably would have said, yeah, maybe not. What was it the probably the when he mistook indemnity for integrity or something like that. But I was like, nah, just swing for the fences. We'll <laughs> we'll make it happen. He's just um, such a schmuck. Yeah. Yeah. And when the voice acting came through for it, Trent it uh, who did his voice. It yeah. Was. I yeah, at that point he sold it so well that yeah, there was no reason to change anything. Yeah. So so you just had was... to hell it through it all in. That was something that was kind of fun about his character, though, was to, like, pause for a second after his dialogue and try and figure out what he actually meant before hitting the button to hear someone else correct him. Like, yeah. it was just kind of like, it's, it was a fun little puzzle within the game that I don't know mm-hmm. if it was intended as a puzzle, but it was just kind of a fun little kind of mini game within the game. Yeah, I mean, that's that's great to be able to do that. Because, uh, yeah, I, I always felt like that was something that people could bring to it themselves to kind of say, uh, what the hell is he talking about? Because he, do- <laughs> he doesn't always have Eula around to interpret for him. So <laughs> There are a lot of people, I think there are, what, two or three characters who kind of prompted him on that? Yeah. yeah. They're just basically like, don't you mean this? And he's like, no. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I really only have one more question. I don't know if okay. Paul's got anything else that he, he still wants to ask. But my question is, what do you have against oatmeal raisin cookies? Ah. <laughs> uh, I was raised in a proper chocolate chip cookie eating at home. I don't know about you people. But yeah, oatmeal raisin cookies are, uh, yeah, they're a travesty. They're an abomination. And yeah, they, there's a deep, deep sinkhole somewhere that needs to take all the oatmeal raisin cookies. Just give them to me. I like oatmeal raisin cookies. <laughs> Fight me. <laughs> Come at me, bro. And that was. I don't. I I got to that line in the game. And I just wrote down. What do you have against oatmeal raisin cookies? <laughs> like I have to ask this question. Uh, poor KC never gets his pie. That's right. Well, you can assume he had some pie. It's yeah, just that we fast forwarded past the actual eating of the pie. <laughs> Okay, I, I, I kind of want to ask this, but at the same time, I don't. Who is Anonymous? Oh, you didn't figure that out? I didn't. Okay, I, didn't. I don't, I, I don't want to get... I could tell him off of air if he wants to know. I, I'm pretty sure I figured it out. I can tell you that you should figure it out by context at the end of Act 2. <sighs> somebody, somebody on the RV gives you a hint. Okay, okay. All right. Maybe off air we can go into that more, but folks, <laughs> if you figure out who Anonymous is, email me. <laughs> All right, um... I don't know if I have any more questions. Uh, I'm tapped out. I, I want to <laughs> say, is it still $10 on Steam right now? No, it went back up. So it's uh, 15 now. Worth it. Uh, if you haven't played it, please do. It's an excellent game. You can find it on... Like, is it only Steam right now? Steam and the Humble Store. And nice, I think nice. other outlets like Digital Download and a couple of other places. But yeah, Sweet. cheaper than a theater ticket, better seats. Yeah. <laughs> Don't have to worry about dressing up. You can go to the theater in your underwear. Frankly, some better story, too. Um, <laughs> are you guys planning on porting it to any of the, any consoles, or is it just going to be a, a PC-only type of venture? No, it's on, right now it's on PC, Mac, and Linux, and sometime later this year, we're hoping late summer, we'll probably be on consoles. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. 
Look forward to that. As you say, it might also might not be a terrible experience on like a tablet too. If you guys ever got to switch in over to either Android or iOS or both, like it Actually, seems like it right. would be seems like it would be pretty easy. Fairly to comprehensive, yeah. Like it, that, ex- it'd be a good we, interface for it, I think. Yeah, we've experimented with a tablet. I think uh, we've played it actually on a Samsung tablet, and it was it was pretty cool. So it's that's an option. There are some hoops to jump through, oh, yeah, um, but sure. But yeah, it, it might be worth it at some point. Well, if uh, I'll, I'll say one thing, once it comes to consoles, feel free to come back on and promote it some more if you want. Sure, glad to. <laughs> and with your next project, feel free to uh, contact us again, and we'll be happy to help promote that one too. Absolutely. Well, do. I'll be in touch. All right. Uh, so. Where would you like people to reach out to you if if you want to provide any kind of contact information? Oh, sure. I am usually found lurking on Twitter. My handle is Doug Piranha, which is a Monty Python reference. My brother and I, uh, when we were kids, my parents called us Doug and Dinsdale Piranha after the Piranha Brothers. So Doug Piranha on Twitter is uh, probably the best place to find me. Yeah, just give me a shout. All right. As usual, you can find me. Uh, I operate our Twitter account at, at @loadedcart. You can find us at loadedcartgaming.com. Uh, you can email me directly at chop at loadedcartgaming.com. Uh, Paul has his many things you can contact him at. <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Paul Cluel. You can find me, Paul, at loadedcartgaming.com. Email the entire podcast if you have questions, concerns. Just want to yell at us for a while. That's fun, too. Uh, podcast at loadedcartgaming.com. Uh, just be gentle with the feedback. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any questions for the future for Wes, feel free to ask him directly or email us, and we'll get them to him as well. Sure. Um, glad to answer. Yeah. Is got anything else? I'm good. I appreciate you guys taking the time, though, and you know helping get the word out. Oh, oh trust me. We awesome. appreciate it more. It was a fun <laughs> game. Yeah. It was definitely a good, a good few hours that I, that I spent playing this. I had a lot of fun. Excellent. All right. Uh, That's it. Nobody else? <laughs> Nothing? Nope. I think All we're right. good. Well, folks, here's some smooth jazz. Play the out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <Yeah. gasps>